Hello and welcome to the Few Choice Words podcast. This is a podcast where we talk about the slightly less glamorous side of entrepreneurship and life. And today I am joined by the fabulous Lindsay McGlone. Lindsay is a master of many, finding her way through social media has placed her as one of the most authentic and relatable people on social media. Lindsay's an Instagram expert, stage and space manager for incredible events activist and producer of the burlesque and cabaret show Reclaimed Hereford. As well as all this, Lindsay dabbles in influencing. Lindsay's a queer woman, plus size and very proudly Northern. Lindsay, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It is an absolute delight. So we have lots of friends in common, but we have not spent much time chatting. I think I've met you twice at the inspired events Daniel. very briefly very very, very briefly. briefly yeah and as you reminded me yesterday when we were chatting one of our first encounters was me trying on your partner tommy's binder yes <laughs> <laughs> and i remember that experience when you, when you reminded me of it yesterday i was saying to my boyfriend how incredibly uncomfortable it was i remembered that profoundly so it was, yeah, that was a really, really good introduction into, I think, something I had very little knowledge and understanding of up until that point. Absolutely. And that was kind of the idea that when you can feel the physical pressure that somebody who is trans, who chooses to wear a binder, goes through every single day, you know, that you you feel that for them and you realize that this isn't a choice this is a you know this is a inherent this is their gender like you can't question it you can't question their gender um and it, it was a really good way of making it really apparent that you know this is kind of every day for them and this is how they feel absolutely so i've introduced you lindsay but before we dive in do you want to introduce yourself a little bit and explain a bit about who you are what you do and what you stand for like what do you like to talk to people about okay so i am a predominantly first of all i was an activist so i catapulted myself into the world of social media um i was profusely bullied at school so i didn't really have a space so i went to social media to create my space then i came a little bit obsessed with growing a following and i realized how that could help me and how that could also benefit me and also my audience so i would talk about my experiences being a fat person and how that you know would play out in society and then also I was really lucky to work with brands to do influencing and then people started to ask me how how do you do this on Instagram how do you get a following how do you know what to post how do you know what's a hashtag and then I was like so there's definitely something in this um, and I'm really big on people genuine we throw around the word authentic and we throw around the relatable word and I feel like everybody's trying to be authentic and relatable mm -hmm. what I do is take away that trying to and we just show up <laughs> as ourselves and we kind of see what happens it's a bit like a social experiment but I give people <laughs> the permission to do that on social media and them to find joy in social media again rather than feeling that they're constantly fighting with the algorithm I love that so much so you've talked about activism. Where I'd love to start today is a pretty simple question, but obviously quite a complex issue. I'd love to know, what does inclusion mean to you? So inclusion means to me in the simplest form to include everybody, but to actively do that and understand why that is important. Also to make sure that we are centering marginalized communities, unrepresented communities, 
and also understanding why that is so important and in an authentic and genuine way. Um, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. Um, and the way that we can do that and the reason that it is so important is because people have different lived experiences. The lived experiences that people share with us, we should hold that so important. And, you know, it's a privilege to be able to understand people's lived experiences and to be able to centre them. And also to understand that because of people's lived experiences, they experience, 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 but they do experience <laughs> things in a different way. And we see things differently as a fat queer woman. I see things differently to a a heterosexual slim woman. I mean, we still fall in the bracket of we are women, so we are marginalised in ourselves. But then I also have a different intersection of how that is shown to me. Also, for somebody who is a black woman would have a different uh, intersection of how they have life and how life happens to them and how people interact with them. And we need to make sure that we are holding space to understand that and not just using it as rainbow washing or plastering when it's um when it's pride month and when something happens in the news it's about really understanding why that's important to be centered and why we should use our platforms to uplift them yeah so you kind of brought me on to my next question there which i love this the rainbow plastering that's a great term um yeah, I, I want to ask you about that. So do you think there are instances where the intention behind inclusion is more about virtue signaling and PR than it is about genuinely bettering the lives, lives of, of marginalised groups? How do you view that? How do you, how do you know the difference? And do you think the difference is important? Yes. So the first thing that I would say is when it's spoken about in and we all see it and, you know, people wouldn't be doing their jobs if they they would be doing a misservice if they didn't point this out. But as content creators, as people who work in PR, copywriters, we're all talking about what's relevant that month so we can create mm -hmm. content. And something that will continually come up is, for example, it's Pride Month. Everybody needs to comment on Pride Month. What are you doing in your business to show up for Pride Month? Who do you employ for Pride Month? And I think what that needs to be is an undertone of the continual, this is what we do to show up for the queer community. This mm. is how we make sure that our business is accessible. This is how we make sure that we invite disabled workers into our space. This is how we make sure that we make reasonable adjustments so that people can work with us and in our workplace. It doesn't have to be a grand gesture constantly because that's when it seems fake. That's when it seems that it is solely for the benefit of it's being spoken about now so let's do something quick to stay relevant right. um and also paying people who come from marginalized communities and not expecting their work for free on and also giving them regular work rather than just centering them on times when it is important quote unquote so it's is it am i understanding correctly then that if a brand or a, a business is using pride month to shine a light on what they're doing all year round that's when it's genuinely bettering the lives of marginalized people 
if what they're doing is going, oh shit, it's Pride Month, I better put a rainbow flag and talk about how lesbians are great, then maybe not so much for the actual <laughs> yeah. that they're aiming at. And also, the, it's the whispers. Queer people, especially I'm talking right. from my experience, queer people, larger bodies, they're what that's what I live in, so I could comment. We are watching, we are constantly watching, and we will tell other queer people, I know that person's safe, I've seen that person show up continuously. So it's also that undertone of what we know is right and how we communicate with each other within our own community, because we will say, I've noticed continuously that this has happened, I feel like this person is safe. Same for larger bodies, if there is a consideration of seating, of doorways, of... Uh, actively inclusive lineups at events is there bigger bodies there are there black people there disabled people trans people like we do the whispers for you you just need to show up and the communities that you're representing will say that you're a safe pair of hands you don't need to do the grand gesture on the time that everybody's speaking about it right it's putting your money in your words yeah, 100%, but continuously, rather than just when it's a catapult of it's Pride Month, for example. You use the word safe there. I would love to ask you what that means to you. Um, safe for me means the freedom to be myself. It means the freedom to invite my close people into that community. Um, safe means that I know that if something is to arise, if there's a situation to happen, that that means that that situation is going to be called in, it's going to be taken to a corner, it's going to be sorted, it's going to be spoken about, and it's going to be acknowledged. If I don't feel safe, I look for the queer people straight away. I look for the other fat people straight away. I will sit in a corner. I will be careful what I, I will be careful in the way that I speak, the way that I communicate. Um, and I will constantly be aware of my surroundings. So feeling safe for me is the best way I can describe it. If I could actively bring my partner or my closest friends into that space and know that they were going to be okay, then that's safe for me because my friendships, my relationships, I hold real, really dearly to me and safe for me is places where I can invite them in. I love that. Okay. So taking all this into account, for those well-intentioned business owners and brands out there who genuinely want to do the right thing, they have the right intention behind it, but maybe have been guilty of this um, tokenism or you know virtue signaling in the past, what can businesses be doing in, in their maybe small businesses, particularly I'm thinking about because a lot of the people that, that follow me and listen to this, small business owners, what can we be doing to prioritize the things that actually move the needle, that actually make spaces safer and more inclusive? So the first thing that I would say is don't be scared to ask, but don't also be aware that that person that you're asking may want a monetary value in in way of their share, them sharing their experiences. We often, if we go to somebody and we ask them something in general life, not just in inclusion and diversity, if they come back with a paywall or some kind of boundary, we often just back off because we think they don't want us, they don't want us to talk about this. Now, in my experiences, especially as a fat person, if people want to ask me questions about my appearance or how they can differ their business so that it's more inclusive for fat bodies, I absolutely will 
will ask for payment because mm. I have continuously shared my experiences as a fat person. The knowledge and the content is all there. So I would say that firstly, don't be scared to ask, but also if somebody puts in a boundary or says that they have a fee attached to that, firstly, respect it. And secondly, know that that's not a no. That's us protecting ourselves when we're sharing our lived experience. You know, the emotional tax that is attached to trying to convince people that they need to consider our needs is mm. far greater than a paywall to me personally. Um, so don't be scared to ask. It's okay. Like people might give you boundaries, but that's okay. They're not saying no. Um, I think as well, being honest, being absolutely pivotal in the business is to be honest. If you don't understand something, if you struggle to get the language right, say that and say, do you know what? I'm messing up here. I'm going to get this wrong. Mm. I don't intend to get this wrong. And also know that intention doesn't equal no hurt. So we can intend not to hurt somebody. It doesn't mean that we haven't. Um, but just being aware that you can say, do you know what? I, I actually haven't got a clue. I'm trying here. This is something I want to do. Like, if you're able to give me advice and you feel safe to do so, please do. If you can't, please know that I'm going to go and find that advice, even if that is a monetary value attached. And then the last thing that I would really say is be continuous with it. Be continuous in that outreach. Show on if you do have a team, who is in your team. Again, I spoke about the whispers in our own community. We talk, if we see an all-white, heterosexual, slim team and able-bodied team, we're talking. We are talking to each other. I know I've done it. I know my friends have done it. We are talking to each other. That doesn't mean that you can't have a team that has people in it who look and are not dissimilar to you, but also be conscious that the team that you are employing or the people that you are working with are just representing one part of a community. Yeah. I love that so much. I love the, the part that you said there about being okay to say that you're making mistakes or don't know what you're doing. I know, I think we have a mutual friend, Alex Lynham, who talks yeah. about this a lot. Um, so Alex runs an organization called Beyond the, Beyond the Binary, and just for, for listeners' purposes, not for yours, I know you know that, but talks a lot about there being space to mess up. And I think that that is such a generous offering for people who maybe are scared to have these conversations um, or scared to get it wrong, scared to fuck up because they're worried about cancel culture or they're worried about being shut down or doing the wrong thing or upsetting people. You know, the intentions can be all sorts of things. And I love that idea of there being space to say, actually, I've got no idea about this. I would Absolutely. love to know and I'm prepared to pay for it. I think that's a really important consideration. Yeah, and it's also, again, not being scared of those barriers and boundaries mm. that people may put into place. Just know that that's not a no, and if that's not accessible to you yet, make it, like, apparent that, you know, I can't access this yet, but it's also not that I'm saying no. It's I'm saying that at the moment this isn't, this isn't right for me, but I'm going to come back to you. And with regards to admitting that you don't know everything and that you're scared of getting it wrong... Also being aware that when people call you out or call you in, it doesn't feel nice. I've been called mm. out before and people would be shocked to hear that, but I have been called out before and it feels 
terrible and you hate it and you get really wrapped up in your own self-preservation and I don't want people to think I'm a bad person da, 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 da. but I can tell you the way that I coped with it is I absolutely acted on the thing that I'd been called out on I showed up I said I messed up and I did better and that person is now one of my friends so that doesn't mean that you you know you're called out that's it that's the end of everything what you're going to do you're going to do the work you're going to show it you're going to admit you did wrong and also a really important thing that doesn't happen a lot and especially in this kind of space is it's okay to just message somebody and apologize for that bad behavior on a human level just reach out and say don't have to accept this this might not be ready you might not be ready to hear this but I want you to know that I'm sorry I'm going to leave it there I'm not going to hound you this is not for my own gratification this is just to say do you know what I am sorry mm, I love that apologies are not for you they're for the other person yes <laughs> that's really important I think that's something that people forget a lot that yeah. if your apology is not being accepted that's that's not something you get to choose. You get Absolutely. to offer it and someone gets to choose whether to accept it or not. Absolutely. So let's talk about bigger bodies in business because I know this is something that you're really passionate about and you talk about a lot. What kind of preconceptions have you faced about being a bigger person in business? So the idea of business for, it's not just solely this, I'd be very naive to say that it's just this, but if we think about in the if we're providing a service to somebody, we are providing something that is seen as aspirational, quote unquote. We are allowing them to get something from us to, you know, work with us so that they can reach that aspirational goal. So for me to get 21,000 followers, if that's what you want on Instagram, that is an aspirational goal. People look at me and recognize that, that they maybe want to reach that goal. Now, what often, well, 99% of the time doesn't happen is people don't look at the physical form of my body as an aspirational thing to be. I don't think that, and this might be controversial to say as I live in a fat body, I don't think that anybody goes to aspire to live in a fat body. I don't think people actively want to live in a fat body. I don't think they make themselves bigger to be in a fat body. So when we're attaching that idea of why people buy from us, it's for an aspirational factor. And businesses absolutely do not find me an aspirational figure or being. What I provide, absolutely, and I recognize that. But if we were just to talk about the physical form, I would not be an aspirational person to relate to. When we think about coaches or public speakers, you know, it's not typically seen as aspirational to be on stage and be in a bigger body because that's not what people aspire to be like. Um, so there is definitely that preconception as well that, you know, I don't have enough energy to give. I am lazy that I'm not going to provide the best service because I am larger. You know, when I stage manage, that's a hugely physical job mm. and I do give it my all and it's 12 hour days at some events, which we both know one event, it's like 12 hour days and I'm giving it my all and I am not any less than a slimmer person in that in that room. And luckily the events that I place myself in, that is not the idea at all. Mm -hmm. um, but also something that is really interesting and I actually thought whether to talk about this, but I'm gonna, is 
when we're in this space, we're all trying to sell to each other, right? Let's not, you know, we're trying to build connections, but ultimately <laughs> businesses buy from each other. That's how we work. We've all got to work. <laughs> yeah. There is a massive, there is a massive thing with people who work in the weight loss industry or spaces who eagerly want to connect with me. And um and that's usually on facebook ads messaging and also in the physical form and it uh, i've experienced it recently and it's very awkward and um, somebody was extremely eager to to connect with me and wanted to know my social media they'd met me within the space of seconds mm. i gave it i gave my connections my details away that's fine whatever um and that person was somebody who works in the weight loss industry now absolutely if that is your specialist subject and you are good at it and you are helping people please do do that you know mm -hmm. you know what you're good at and you are helping people to live the lifestyle that they want but it is the assumption and the unsolicited messaging that can come from this space because we all need to network we all need people to need our services but mm -hmm. it's that ultimate oh this is my ideal client because look at the size of it now obviously they don't <laughs> think that but that's how it, you know, in the simplest terms, they're seeing a fat person and they're thinking, brilliant, great. Like, this is going to work, right? Um, so I think that that as well, people need to be really mindful that I'm not your ideal client, I'm just fat. <laughs> like, right. Yeah, that, that has happened and continues to happen. How do you respond to those inquiries? Because I, I think all of us are familiar with the unsolicited unwanted dms selling crap that we don't want or need we're all we're all familiar with that but but in the situation you're describing there is a much more personal moral judgment assigned to that kind of message yes how how do you manage that how do you respond to a, to a message like that well if you got me in the peak of my activist years about three years ago i would not be favored i would <laughs> you know i would respond in a not very nice way and I you know I, I recognize that now I simply just say thank you um mainly because I am conscious of the space that I'm in and I don't want people to say bad things about me uh, but equally equally I don't want there to be this rhetoric and narrative that you can just see a fat person and think oh this is my business great now I'm going to reach out to that person mm -hmm. so it's it's again it's kindness it's admitting that you've got it wrong it's admitting that maybe you need to look at what your ideal client spec is what you think that your ideal client may be and if you think about it in the practical terms our ideal client whenever we acknowledge that in business is somebody that needs our service but also wants our service and also has the can access those services now I am just a fat person, so I just look like your ideal client. But what's important to recognize is I don't want your services, I don't need your services, and I probably couldn't afford your services either. So I really am not your person. <laughs> so I just think it's really important to recognize that unsolicited messages are not okay at all. But also when it's attached to the physical being and appearance, we need to be so, so careful what we're doing. Mm. I want to ask you about the word fat because you've used it a lot already and I think it's a word that would be fair to say is loaded with a lot of moral judgment and assumptions as you've already said. I certainly grew up in a household where the word fat was used negatively. There was a lot of negative connotations with that, something to be afraid of 
And undoubtedly that led to a complicated relationship with food and weight. How do you feel about that word? And is there a kind of reclamation in using it for you? I mean, absolutely. The reason that word fat is a negative word is because of the negative connotations that society is attached to it. If we take away that power, then it will no longer be offensive. Now, absolutely, I would be naive to say that that's going to be the case in society one day where people are going to walk around calling everybody fat and it's going to be great. But I want it to be okay for people to recognise my size and not be afraid to not actively mention it because why why should we be doing that anyway about bodies but also not be afraid to notice it and it be okay mm. i not only am i fat i am a larger fat person i'm not just you know slightly big i am a recognizable person that walks in the room and people do think subconsciously because we all do and it's okay as long as we don't verbalize that and treat people indifferent that think oh she's quite large and do you know what i am quite large and the freedom of knowing that the word fat is okay and that it's just the preconceptions that we've attached to it ourselves Mm. is the freedom of being happy in my body. And if I can give that to somebody, I absolutely will. If you take the power away from somebody calling you fat, you absolutely will be so much happier because I am aware of my size and that doesn't, and it doesn't mean it never will. But at this moment in time, it doesn't affect my life. It doesn't affect the way that I live. And I'm happy living in this body. And I really, really want to give that back to so many people to just have the freedom to be okay with being a bit larger, with being able to eat what they want, don't, not feeling like there's a cheat day, not feeling that they can't pick up that glass of Prosecco because it goes over the calorie intake for that day. Like, I'm not taking away from people who want to live in a quote-unquote healthy lifestyle. That's fine. But it's giving the autonomy back to those people who kind of live in that middle way of, I don't want to lose weight, but I'm also not really that happy. But if you don't want to lose weight and you're not happy, the thing that I would say to you is, are you not happy in your body or are you not happy with how society treats your body? And that's when the real change works because that's when we start questioning other people's opinions of how we look that's right isn't it yeah that's right am I not happy with my body or am I not happy with how people treat my body that's that's worth repeating that's really important because you're right there's I think a lot of people assume it's the first one that they're not happy with their body and I think other people make that assumption about larger people too that they must be unhappy with it but actually, that's right. It's, it's no, I just don't like the ne- negative connotations associated with it. I don't like the assumption that I'm lazy. I don't like the assumption that I have less energy. I don't like the assumption that I'm greedy. Because who would? Yeah. <laughs> who would want those moral judgments assigned to them because of the size of their body? It's, yeah. yeah. I think that's and sometimes you just need somebody else to say it to actually think, oh, wow, okay, yeah. And I, that's, that's what I try to do with my loud clothes and my attitude and the continual word of fat, 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 fat. And people get a bit bored of it now. And do you know what? That's absolutely fine too. But I'm doing it to desensitize the word and take it away and give the people the autonomy to say, actually, I don't like how you're treating me, 
because I look this way, I'm going to tell you actively that I really like myself and that's okay. So please stop or I'm going to remove myself from the situation. Just giving that, you know, that real strength back to people to really own their bodies. And it's quite ironic because people who lose weight, which again is absolutely fine and you don't need my permission to do so, but we're often told in dieting and ads in that kind of perspective, let's give your life back to your body, give your autonomy back to your body, start making choices for your body. Well, what if the choice I make for my body today is, is I don't like the way society treats me, I'm gonna continue to be happy and I'm gonna continue to call out the bad behavior. What about that choice for my body? Yeah. Do you find people try and correct you when you use that word about yourself? Yeah, the best one is, you're not fat, you're beautiful. And it does make me cringe. Oh, God. Oh, yeah, I can be both. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. I believe I'm both, but okay, you crack on. I have become a lot softer to how I used to be. I used to call out things continuously. Uh, now I just watch and observe for a lot of the time. And, you know, I, there's only so much energy I can give to the issue. And there's only so many times I can say that this is not right and this is not okay. Um, so usually when I respond now, it's from absolute anger and that, you know, that's frustration, that's continual. I'm seeing this day in and day out and it's anger or it's from a place of, do you know what? I actually think you're an all right person. So I'm going to try and correct you and I'm going to try and make this work for us both. It, there's no middle ground anymore. It's either complete frustration and, and, and the end of my tether or it's, I actually think you're an all right person. Let's see if we can work through this. Right. Assuming good faith intentions, yeah. Yeah. Okay. What I'd love to ask you about next, as a queer woman in a relationship with a trans man, you've mentioned intersectionality already. How do you view the intersectionality of queerness and body positivity? Are there any issues you think need more attention there? Um, I think that living in a body that is larger, again, even in queer spaces, you know, Rightly or wrongly, I'd say wrongly, but queer people are very much attached, mainly by heterosexual people, to this idea of overtly sexual people, you know, especially people that are queer, bisexual, pansexual, you know, that they'll sleep with anybody or they'll interact with anybody. And what we attach to sexiness mm -hmm. um, is a slimmer body, is an idealistic body type. So, again with heterosexual people how they perceive a fat queer person is different again to how they perceive a slimmer straight sized queer person and that's what people don't realize again the the intersections of all our lived experiences do play out in different ways and it is a lot and it feels like a minefield and it is complex but it but again it's okay to say do you know what i actually really don't get what you're on about don't get what you're saying to me can you please explain it to me um, so there is definitely, again, that, you know, I put something up the other day saying more fat queers at Pride, and it's absolutely true. Like, let's centre more fat queer people. Let's make sure that they are having space on stage, that they are having spaces on lineups, and that they're being, you know, they are having a platform. Mm. Like, black queer people, disabled queer people, neurodivergent queer people. Like, let's make sure that we're not just... What happens a lot is, especially in lineups, in events, in teams, is 
okay, so we have the black person, we have the fat person, we have the queer person, we have the trans person, disabled person, neurodivergent person. Like, where's the intersectionality of that? We're not just there to tick boxes. And that's another really clear, clear, clear way of re recognising whether people are actually valuing um, having an inclusive team or an inclusive business because they will recognise intersectionality rather than just, I'm going to tick this box by putting this fat person here, I'm going to tick this box by putting black person here. Like, think about how that interwines. Yeah, that's so interesting. Do you think there's a, and I have no idea if this is true, so you can tell me if this is way off base, do you think there's almost a sense of, for example, for Pride, putting the best queer face forward, the, the most acceptable to, to society? Like, the if we're going to put Pride on and we want to have it be as sort of socially acceptable as possible, we'll go with the the most normalised, most accepted version of what that looks like? I don't think as much as there probably once was. Mm. Absolutely, I, I would say that there's massive progress in there. And being mm. from a performance space and producing and things like that, I can see that that is actively changing and it's great. The thing that I will notice um, is that smaller prize, and I get that they don't have the same budget and stuff, mm. but there is just no consideration there to line ups. It's, it's featuring queer people, absolutely brilliant, great. Uh, but again, they're not thinking about the intersection of the queer community and how definitely that we can represent the queer community in its fullest form. Uh, but again, there's budgeting things there. And as somebody who's trying to be softer, I understand that. But also there could be a conscious effort being made there. Right. So you talked about performance, actually. I'd love to come on to that. So I know you produce the burlesque show, Reclaimed Hereford. My boyfriend's actually a magician and a sideshow performer, and he performs in a burlesque show down here in Hastings. And I've become obsessed with it since I started going. The inclusivity and body positivity that you find in the burlesque world is kind of like nothing I've ever seen before, actually. It was it was very new to me when I first went along. Do you think there's lessons that we can take from the burlesque world that we could apply to the way society broadly sees bigger bodies and sexiness and queerness? Are there lessons to be taken from it? I think the burlesque world for me, and, and we've got to remember that I'm very much in it. And um, so I see all sides of that. And, and I'm glad that the experience that you've had is a body positive experience. And I'm glad that you've seen all intersections of burlesque. And I, I genuinely, I'm glad. Um, I think that, I mean, I'm not here to talk about burlesque, but I do think that if we're going with that narrative that it's body positive and we talk about sexiness in all different kinds of ways, I definitely think that that can be projected in society and it's something that needs to be practiced. But people are scared of it. We're, they're scared of, say, for a bigger body, some bigger bodies are scared of attaching themselves to the word sexy because society's not gave them the permission to do that. So they don't want to attach themselves to that idea of being sexy. And um, so I think, again, it does all come to being kinder in society and, you know, really recognising, again, when we talk about autonomies over bodies, recognising if it's you or if you're not happy with other people and also being brave and being holding people accountable for their actions and saying, like, this is not okay. 
And also there's so much power, especially if you live in a marginalised body, of just saying, actually, I really like myself because it pisses people off. It <laughs> really does. So there's a lot of power in just saying, do you know what? I actually really like myself, so thank you. Yeah. Why, why not? Everyone should. Absolutely. Okay, so when we talk about activism, you've already talked a little bit about the emotional labour behind that and how that means a lot of people need to charge for it and there needs to be that paywall. How do you manage your your resources, your kind of energy resources and mental health alongside being an activist? Where do you where do you find your boundaries and how do you figure out how to manage that? I wish you could tell me. No, <laughs> um, it's still something that I'm, I'm still navigating. Um, in some situations I'm really familiar with, I can absolutely advocate for myself and say, like, I'm not going to answer that. Um, but as somebody who was very new into this being my full-time business and this being my full-time, you know, this is how I'm paying my mortgage now. Like, it's scary, right? Um, and I think that finding those boundaries, especially when sometimes when people need something, they need to be shown that they need it first. Mm-hmm. So the way that we show people that they need it is by giving people the information and evidencing how that can help them, right? So if I'm already positioning myself in a place where I'm advocating for myself, other people, I'm practicing activism to prove to them why they need it, I'm already giving emotional labor. So where do I draw that line? Um, so I think the way that I'm doing it at the minute is making it apparent that I will deliver free information, I will deliver, you know, Facebook posts, social media posts, and we're all given a plethora of content online and we're just not utilising it because we absolutely can educate ourselves from it. And I will say that this is this is how I'm delivering this information, this is my choice, and then after that, you're going to have to pay me because I'm giving you all this already. Um, and again, in the practical sense that when we do enter those spaces, the person is paid, we are discussing things. Um, I remember asking two people who were trans activists, I was like, how do you not get angry? And they said, but we could say the same to you. And it is that professionalism. It's that, you know, it doesn't mean that I don't ever get annoyed. It doesn't mean that I don't ever sigh inside my head and think, you're really not getting this. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's a service and also I've found that since I have started to adopt adapt my way of delivering that information that sometimes I just need to be a bit kinder and also if I want real change to happen it's that understanding that maybe that other person just genuinely hasn't been in a position to understand that people get treated differently because of how they look or because of their sexuality gender race ability so yeah just trying to be a little bit a little bit softer. Yeah. Where did that decision come from? I'm interested. You've, you've mentioned it a couple of times. Is it is it something that feels right to you and how you want to show up? Or do you think it's something that's being demanded of you? Um, oh, it's definitely not being demanded of me because I'm too stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> I um... Where it came from, like, where, where you felt the, the reason for, for that change. So my, when I was purely doing activism, my um, name was, my tagline was the Fierce Fat Feminist. Mm-hmm. And I started to become disattached from the Fierce Fat Feminist when I realised it was okay to just be me. So I was giving people these ideologies of, you know, you can live in a body, you can exist in a body, it's absolutely fine. But I was making, sorry, excuse me. That's okay. I was giving people a caricature of myself to protect myself. 
and I really wasn't I was tapping into why I was sad and why I was angry and I was like this is not right but I was absolutely profusely protecting myself as a fierce fat feminist and I didn't feel after years of being the fierce fat feminist it sounds ridiculous but really did attach myself to that name and you know you google the fierce fat feminist my name my face just comes up everywhere Mm. um and slowly I was finding that I just wanted to be Lindsay I wanted to be all these intersections of Lindsay and still change the way people perceive my body and things but I wanted to be the human rather than the character um and that became a way of me being softer and trying to understand people more and I think as well doing a lot of healing the fierce fat feminist was fierce ferocious you know she wasn't afraid to call anything out and I really wasn't Uh, but sometimes that's not helpful sometimes and doesn't mean that I'll never return to not being that person but if it's if it's right and proper and important at that time doesn't mean I won't call people out but I, I want people to see me first, trust me p- first, get into a position where they understand who Lindsay is so that I can very politely nudge them and say, have you ever considered this? Have you ever thought of this? Um, and I'm really enjoying showing up as the human rather than the caricature of myself. So I'm really practising what I preach and I've healed a lot from all the stuff that I've had to deal with. So it's placed me in a position where I can just turn up as myself now. I love that so much, the person rather than the caricature. That feels really important, I think. There's a lot of caricatures online. And like you say, it's it's kind of right as well. It was what was needed at the time. Like if you need that protection, it's, you know, I think it's like any version of ourselves that we look back on and go, oh, that's not quite who I, who I would be now or quite how I would behave now. But we needed that defense mechanism. We needed that armor almost. Yeah to show up at all and I I think that's you know a lot of us talk about putting on makeup on or doing our hair to go on lives being kind of armor that we put on I think the the real person rather than the caricature gives people more access to you doesn't it people who might have had completely different experiences do you find that you've changed that you've opened the doors to people who perhaps would have not felt comfortable engaging Um, I think maybe not so much not feel comfortable, but people who have like dabbled in the stuff that I do and have dipped the toe in. I've had people actively say you're not as aggressive anymore. <laughs> and do you know what? I'll take it. I, I will take it. And but we've also got to recognise that anger and upset and, you know, boundaries and you know, coming across maybe abrupt, there's a place for that too because people are sad, people are angry, people are annoyed that we're constantly still having to defend why it's important to recognise people who live in marginalised bodies. Um, But I am in a position now where I can accept more people into my circle. And also I have noticed that more people have felt safe saying they actually agree and more people living in similar bodies to me have been able to relate. And the reason that they couldn't before is because they thought that they had to be this raging body positive person who walked around saying they love themselves all the time when actually they just want to be okay with themselves. And I think that if I can open myself up to those kind of people as well, that I really am doing a good thing. And also with Instagram, like, I was so scared for ages of coming away from the activism because that's how I grew a following, right? People wanted to listen to me because they were like, I agree, I I profusely agree. Like, 
it, it's almost like an army of people and I was like if I step away from this I'm gonna lose everyone <laughs> and that's just simply not true if anything the people that have followed me from ages ago are even more in my corner now because they're seeing Lindsay and I'm just showing up as Lindsay and mm. and, and that's completely okay so I would say that my circle's got slightly bigger but still with caution and I'm very careful who I protect myself from that's a really interesting point you make though about it being almost that polarization that helped you grow an audience do you think it is important to be a little bit polarizing on social media if you want to grow mm, no because i i understand what you're saying absolutely i think maybe if you asked me a few years ago i would have said yes um but that was my naivety i think that you know, people do like p- opinions that align with them, but you don't have to be so profusely out there with them. They can just be, again, we've spoke about intersections so much, the intersections in your businesses and your messaging, like make that really clear. Use the term, hello, everyone. Hello, people. The queer people, I am telling you, will notice. The gender non-conforming people will notice that you've not put women and men you know, um, featuring people in your advertising that look different to you, we will notice, we will whisper for you, we will do the work for you, you just need to show up. So you don't have to be a caricature on social media at all, you really just have to be authentic and yourself. And again, I said earlier, it's kind of thrown around this authenticity kind of thing, but now I feel like everybody's pushing to be so authentic and show their cups of tea in the morning with the no face makeup on and stuff like if you want to only show up in your makeup only show up in your makeup that's fine because that's true to you just be conscious that you're being true to the person you are online people buy from people and as lisa johnson always says people buy from people they like and if people don't like me they're not going to work with me and that's fine that's okay yeah, yeah you want to repel the wrong people as well as attracting the right ones for yeah sure. Definitely, yeah. as a copywriter, that is that is very much in my wheelhouse. People are so keen to only attract and so scared to to turn anyone away or to make anyone dislike them online. But it's you're right; it's completely the wrong approach. We need to be yeah. repelling the ones who are definitely not right for us. So, before we go on to my two questions, I always ask everyone right at the end of these interviews. I'd love to ask finally, what changes do you hope to see? in the world over the next decade, particularly in relation to inclusivity and body positivity? Um, I think the first thing would be for businesses to actively consider larger bodies. I think that it is something that is kind of left behind. And also, while saying that, I recognise that other people's lived experiences are different to mine and also that people who live in different types of bodies also may have had, it's a weird word to attach to it, but worse experiences than mine. And I recognize that I live in privilege. I am a white person. I am a cis person. But I really do think that it is important that, you know, bigger bodies are represented in lineups, in events, in employment, and also that we are considered when just thinking about the overall business model. I don't think that it's silly for often, often more than not, 
Fat bodies are made to feel stupid, silly, lazy, that we're not relevant. It's not important. We can just lose weight. You can just lose weight. Stop moaning. If you're that bothered, you'll just lose weight. Well, if you're that bothered, you'll just make your chairs a bit more accessible. You'll make sure that I can get down the aisles at events. You'll make sure that your expos are big enough to people to walk around. You know, it's just being a bit more considerate um, of bigger bodies. And also, it's that real continuity with businesses you know, employ people with different intersectionalities of their lived experience, recognise your privilege. If you have privilege, it's not awful to admit white people have privilege, men have privilege, cis people have privilege. It doesn't mean that you haven't had trauma or experiences that make your life a bit shit, right? (laughs) But we've got to recognise that we have different experiences so definitely just just that real authenticity around accepting that people have different lived experiences continuing to reach out and employ and work with people who have different lived experiences rather than just plastering it around all the relevant months yeah i love that point about privilege as well i think that's so important i think a lot of people balk against the word privilege they almost feel like you're accusing them of something when yeah. when you say you've got privilege it's like, no no that's not an accusation it's just a statement of fact yeah. <laughs> i've got privilege i've struggled to pay my mortgage this month no we're not talking about that like right. we're right. talking about your given right as somebody who was born into a privilege that other mm. people don't experience and it's not necessarily a negative thing as long as you can recognize that Okay, two final questions for you, Lindsay, that I always ask everyone who comes on this podcast. The first one is, is there anything that you have found hard this year? Because we want to talk about the less glam side of entrepreneurship. We talked about a lot of hard things already, but is there anything particularly that's felt hard for you this year? Being a bit skint, like, I think that what we don't talk about, because I've obviously gone from employment to being full-time, working on my business and working for myself, and what I found absolutely astonishing is the amount of people that I've said to, like, oh, I'm not doing that well, I'm covering my bills and I can buy some food and I can go out a couple of times, and I'm like, you're doing really well, but nobody talks about the people who are not just getting by, but the people who literally are paying their bills, they're paying their mortgage and they're sustaining self-employment or they're owning their own business. Mm -hmm. Nobody talks about that. And I really felt that I was inferior because in reality, I don't have money. Like I don't have money yet. And nobody talks about that because we want to see again, an aspirational person that we buy a service from, right? So if they've got all the money and doing all the things and they're dancing to all the tunes and they've got the beautiful quote unquote body, like, yeah, let's work with that person. So I think feeling inferior because I don't own a lot of money has been really difficult for me. But then also on the flip side, to say I've got enough money to sustain me working for myself is a massive achievement. And I just think that that conversation where so many people have said to me, so many people are just paying their bills and that's okay. They just want to work for themselves and that's a freedom. I wish that more people would say that publicly because it's going to give more people permission to quit their jobs that they absolutely hate. So I think that we need to be talking about how we're just doing it to get by like the freedom of me working for myself is far much more valuable than earning a wage quite frankly and I think that I felt inferior for too long so we need to be talking about the people who are just getting by and that that's okay I couldn't agree with you more that was where I was for the first 
two and a bit years of running my business. And I was, I, I quit my job because I didn't have a choice. You know, I was depressed, burnout, fuck, like I had to. And yeah, exactly like you say, the first, first two years, I was literally paying my bills, scraping by, borrowing money from parents just to pay, pay rent and stuff. And, and I was still so much happier. Yeah, it's almost like that secret turn of like, it. you feel like you're lying to everybody. And then luckily, because I have been in a position where I've been able to say like, people have said like, how are you doing? I'm just like, oh, I'm paying my bills, like I'm living, I'm able to live, like buy myself some air dye sometimes and things like that. And they're like, you're doing really well then to say you've only been doing this a few months, you're doing really well. And you're thinking but I wouldn't have had a clue unless I had this conversation with you. So mm-hmm. I think we've got a, as business owners, as people who are self-employed, we've also got a duty of care to people who are living in those jobs that they hate. We're telling them to quit, right? To buy our services so that they could go on and do the thing. But we're not actually saying and being relatable and saying, do you know what? Like I'm struggling right now. We're not a past tense. We're not a story of rags to riches like I'm living in it right now but what I can tell you is the freedom and the being able to say yes to things is so much more important than having a regular wage so yeah I think feeling inferior in monetary value I've really struggled with and I felt like I'm lying to everyone and I need to whisper about it but I think if if we don't talk about it we're not giving permission to people to be able to quit that job that they hate yeah to say it's worth it it's going to be hard but it's worth it Absolutely. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. I think you're right. And there's a lot of people who expect to quit their job and suddenly be making, you know, <laughs> five grand yeah. a month like that. And it just doesn't happen. It takes time. Final question for you. What piece of advice, if you give one piece of advice to yourself when you were younger, let's say 10 years ago, what would it be? Um, in business or in life? whichever you choose honestly not to value the not to value the respect of cis men over everything else to not have to be overtly sexual and not have to shout about people wanting to have sex with you because it made you look hard and that you know you can value yourself and you don't need people to want you and I think that's also really important in business we don't need people to want us obviously in the practical sense we need money but we also need the right people to want us and that isn't just going for everything and anyone that's going Mm -hmm. for the people that are right for you so absolutely to just wait a bit and not just value the opinion of people wanting to desire to have sex with me basically I think that's really important and it's something that I do actively regret and I think about a lot because I didn't even know I was queer then <laughs> clearly um, so, <laughs> not <chasing> them now <laughs> yeah so literally just to be okay with not being not having the need to be wanted all the time it, you don't need to be wanted you can just want to do good for yourself I think that's such good advice for all teenagers. All teenagers need that. Yeah. Yeah. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. How can people access you and your work and pay you? help them. okay <laughs> so you can find me on social media it's rolling with Lindsay with no g and now i can't change it because i got verified and i wish i could just put <laughs> Lindsay mcglow so we can all laugh at that uh, you can find me on facebook as well i am working on a website and i know people say that to look hard but i actually am <laughs> <laughs> amazing thank you so much Lindsay. 
Thank, Thank you, you for having me. Us. This has been A Few Choice Words with Chantal Davison and Lindsay McClough.